Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. I am so excited to say that my guest this week for the first episode of 2022 is Mr. Daryl Palumbo of Glassjaw. I have been a Glassjaw fan for over 20 years. I caught them the very first time they played on the West Coast when they were opening for the Deftones. I made an effort to stick around to meet Daryl that night and um, let him know how much his band meant to me and uh, kind of created a friendship ever since then. And uh, he remained kind to me and sweet to me uh, throughout these 20 years. So having this conversation with him on the podcast is really fun to sort of take a trip down memory lane with a lot of stuff, and I hope you enjoy it uh, as much as I did uh, recording it. I will add a bit of a disclaimer just out of my own anxiety. Uh, there might be some a couple awkward silences or, or things like that. It's due to some technical difficulties we were having um, with the program we were using. There was a little bit of a delay um, on a few of the responses, and, uh, and my wonderful editor, Tim, did his best to sort of clean those things up but as someone who was there for the uh, interview and when i listened to it back i was like oh man some of this sounds a little a little awkward um but yeah it's technical difficulties i swear i promise i'm not i'm not that strange um and hey if you are interested in a bonus episode uh you can subscribe to the patreon which is patreon.com slash the first ever patreon where right now there's a bonus episode where Daryl was kind enough to answer questions that were submitted by subscribers. And uh, if that's something that interests you, um, you can find out about upcoming guests before anybody else, submit questions, all that sort of fun stuff. Plus, I do these radio hour episodes where you get an extra two a month and uh, you also get them a day early than anybody else. Also, Daryl wanted me to mention that you can contact him directly at Daryl Palumbo Contact at gmail.com if you are interested in working with him uh, with writing, producing, mixing, scoring, and all manners of visual and graphic design. One more time, that's Daryl Palumbo Contact at gmail.com. And lastly, I want to shout out my friends over at Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER at checkout when you visit store.dscvrd.co. All right, I think that's it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Daryl Palumbo. Daryl, it's so nice to see you. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, I really appreciate you Good. making time. I know you just got back from a, from a holiday trip. Were you up in New York or where were you? No, I was traveling, traveling around Florida a little bit, around the... Miami area, sort of in that zone. Okay, got it. How how long have you been in Miami now at this point, or like in Florida at this point? Has it been like over ten years, or what? No, no, no. Like uh, four four years. Okay. Yeah. Four, Did it take yeah. a minute to get used to? Because the that's quite a climate change from uh from where you were you know normally no, used to. I was, I was happy. I didn't enjoy the climate that I was used to. <laughs> I was very happy. It was easy. Really easy so you're just me. like a full, you're just like a full-time snowbird now <laughs> yeah oh, i don't even go i don't even go back let alone oh is that right snowbird. i don't even i don't even go back yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's the phrase for when uh, for when a lot of uh, retirees uh, head down to Florida during when it gets cold. So there you go. Italians. I'm surrounded by people. <laughs> um, oh man but uh how was how was your holiday so far i mean we're talking just before new year's eve so uh how was the first part yeah. was it all right yeah it was beautiful beautiful wonderful time spent it with uh spent it with some family i ate well um the weather was amazing <laughs> and uh yeah it was great it was great i love it I, yeah i love that um, cause yeah, I mean, you have, and you're at the point now where you get to be like fun dad with like Christmas stuff. Like, how was that? Was it, uh, are, are you like spoiling your kid or what? Uh, yeah, I'm spoiling him a lot. It's, uh, I mean, I waited my whole life, you know, my dad was my best friend. So like to get to do this shit is like, you know, I waited the whole time. So this is the payoff. So, ah, yeah, that's really sweet. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, the show, it's, uh, the show is all about first experiences and things like that. So what I, first thing I wanted to ask you, uh, was when you were growing up, like, what was the first thing musically that you connected with that, like, maybe felt like it was yours, something that you discovered on your own, maybe not something that was being played in the house? I mean, that's like, those are those early memory memories, right? Um, man, um, there was Night Flight, you know, the Night Flight television show. It was on USA. It was like... Oh, uh, I don't know if I know really, that one. Uh, amazing. Uh, I actually think it's an on-demand sort of like streaming, like monthly sort of thing you can do for like weirdos that like shit like that, like I did from the 80s. Like, you know, just bizarre TV, bizarre B-movie type stuff. And always it was always like music videos too. A lot of bugged out, you know, claymation, like, you know, shit that's stony weirdos who are into zappa and the ramones that sort of stuff so night flight was huge early 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 uh you know memories for me it was always there was a lot of punk and post-punk and weird metal and proto-punky weirdness and uh crazy animation and and along with that's like the movie heavy metal when i was really young like seeing heavy metal really that that lasts forever those are like those mega early moments you know anime um you know, like Valley of the Wind, like crazy early anime shit that we play late night on HBO. My father would work really, really, really late. He worked for Amtrak and shit. And uh, he'd get home, you know, in the middle of the night. <clears throat> he'd wake me up sometimes and we'd get to, we'd watch TV and all the, you know, the bugged out shit would be on, you know, early 80s, early 80s and a lot of local New York television stuff. There was a, there was a local television sort of thing. It was on uh, WWOR Channel 9. Anybody who's an old weirdo punk rocker from the 80s, 70s, 80s is going to know WWOR. It was like Morton Downey Jr. and like the Uncle Floyd show and Benny Hill. Like during dinner times, you're just watching Benny Hill slap slap asses like while you're eating dinner, like at the family dinner table. And like Monty Python at like 6 o'clock, like crazy shit. But Uncle Floyd, he would have like a uh, agnostic front play on that. You know, he had like, it was, I'm pretty sure Ramones played on there and shit too. And those, those are like the early memories, like the super early memories of just like, this is it. This is it. This is the wow. belly of something. And then just feeling it like, you know, as a super little, little, little person, just feeling like, yeah, that's the magic. And then in record stores, it was like, I remember AF record covers hit me really hard when I was really little. Uh, Black Flag Damaged was probably the first. I feel like that's like the first punk cover that really fucked me up. You know, like just seeing a photograph, photographs, even more so than like the, you know, the obvious sort of like, you know, the sketched out sort of famous stuff like 
just a photograph, like weird, badly taken photographs on the covers of punk records really fucked you up when you were little. So it's like that shit hit me really hard. Was there like a record store near where you grew up? Yeah, yeah. It was like um, it's the one. It was, you know, Justin went to the same one. We are from the same same neighborhood pretty much. So it was like, uh, well, there was one called Uncle Phil's. And Uncle Phil had like two locations. And it was like, I'm talking speak English or die cassettes. Cause, you know, AF cause for alarm cassettes, Bad Brains Quickness cassettes. Like everything that was in Thrasher. Like as time was going on, this was like, this shit was hanging on the wall. This dude's place. And it was like, you get one cassette a week or two at that point so it was like really important to nail it when we when we go there so uncle phil's is for justin too and then uh maybe the other uncle phil's was in busy bee flea market like five seconds away and it was like another one of these dingy just like shitholes covered in dust and like (laughs) it's like fucking dri records like just in my face just kid destroying me and i'm like what am i missing i want that i want to look like that I want those shorts. Everybody has such awesome shorts on all the records I liked. How long did that store uh, last? Is it still around? No, none of, none of like the childhood fantasy stores were there. Island Island Records and Discs, I think, was one, and it was like up the block from Justin's, and uh, it was next to the supermarket our families would go to and shit. And I was like, these are just like they're like f- stuff of legend. They don't exist right. anymore. Nothing does. Nothing exists anymore. Nah, and, but that was yeah, it. I that know. was like the years. Those were the years. Those were like, that was the birth of everything. Like touching, a, the tw- you know, like a full LP of Among the Living. Like it's coming out. I'm touching it. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? Look at these covers. Like oil painting covers just like blowing my brains out. Like, uh, yeah. That's so, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. So when you were, what was, uh, what was the first concert that you went to? Uh, early concerts, like real concerts. I was like three, four years old. My dad, like Everly Brothers, Rod Stewart, The Police. Um, wow. Uh, Ringo Starr, All-Star Band, like like Van Halen shit. Just like every concert that ever, Squeeze. I mean, I've seen Squeeze. I saw Squeeze every tour they ever did with my old man. Like that was like the most important uh you know like just amazing british bands we saw howard jones uh jones beach amphitheater uh between you know it was all the garden and jones beach amphitheater and this place called westbury music westbury music fair the westbury music fair which was uh they still do a uh they still do concerts there it's sort of like a theater in the round a few minutes from where justin and i were from and there those concerts are fucking legendary too so yeah just a concert my whole life so starting really young like you know police rod stewart just like stones on like the steel wheels tour and shit just like weird yeah just every concert wow. he could my dad could damn take that is to. Yeah. it's insane does uh was did your dad play music as well or was he just excited about exposing his kid to like all this yeah no music no yeah he was up? a music dude yeah yeah he was a full-on full-on music dude but he had to eventually you know work all the time and then that was you know, then he was just like, you know, when he would relax, he'd play in the house all the time and shit. But yeah, he was a yeah, he was very, very much music dude, record collector guy. So like, yeah, like so having what, records. What, you know. what did he play? Played everything. Played uh, in a lot of the bands he was in. He was the drummer, drummer, singer, and then uh, played guitar a little bit in bands. Uh, his best friend was always the bass player, um, nasty bass player, surfer bass player dude it's just like so like the the 
quintessential like Long Island 60s, 70s dudes in bands. You know, it's a very Long Island dad thing, I think. But that, you know, so, so we always continued playing uh, guitar in the house a lot, piano a lot in the house. So I did. So too. with those instruments kind of like laying around the house, did you pick up, did you pick them up early and start trying to play with them yourself or? Yeah. How yeah, did yeah, I, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 You just see it, you know, you just see it in your face. It's like those, that's beyond toys. And then there's also like the taboo of kind of like, don't funk it up, you know, like don't break it. So like, you're just like, ah, oh, this big, this big fucking artifact. I can't even move it. It's so big. And I don't want, I'm not allowed to touch <laughs> it. It's just like, creates the magic it was like record you know it just all goes back to just like this in like such an interesting way like the size of record covers you know like it was like the it was like the covers and the fold outs of like police in is it is it Zenyata Mundata like it's where the way they're in the studio like tracking the record and all the photos and then the back you know the back cover of London Calling like there was just like photos that were just the moments of just like the explosion of it like you know in my in my life those photos are right. just like, that's the shit, you know? Who Did, records uh, too were really, were really quintessential. They're, they're, those are those are important. It sounds, you, you know, it's like kind of silly or like it feels cliche to ask, but like even as a young kid, like, because obviously it seems like you were very drawn to and excited about album art. Uh, you were appreciating like the instruments for what they were. You were appreciating like holding a record and all that sort of stuff. Was the idea pretty young in your mind that you wanted to be in a band? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you ne never was I, never was it like I want to make I want to do a band just like my dad goes to work. I want to go to work and do a band. I never, obviously, nobody. I mean, maybe people think that now, but that's not what you think then. You don't like because it wasn't it wasn't like that. You know, like I never thought that I was going to be playing in a traditional rock band when I was eleven, and I never thought that playing the kind of aggressive bugged out shit that i was digging would ever make me money so like you sure. know, just don't think like that you know yeah, it's yeah same yeah, for yeah. you you know same answer that you would give you know yeah, right yeah, of course yeah. you're just like i gotta do this i'm doing this this is it i gotta do this but i don't know what am i gonna do on the side i'm gonna fucking work in a flower shop too you know i don't fucking know but you just right. do it i had Did nobody I... was rich in my family so it was like you know i'm gonna get a job this was gonna happen somewhere you know Right, for sure. When um, did you? Because I know you're you obviously you play guitar. So like, was there a point when you were like, oh, I want to be a guitar player, and you got your own guitar, or was it like yeah, you were that playing was the what was time. around the house? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Always playing. There was always pianos in my house and guitars and basses in my house and all sorts of shit, you know. Uh, but I was always always touching a piano and definitely always gravitated towards guitar. I was just you know raised by a new wave rock rock and roll classic rocky dad's like dude give me a fucking guitar man yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's no way i wasn't gonna hold a guitar i just needed yeah to. i love it i loved it I, I loved it i still love it i just i find myself only really working on it i guess so to speak when i'm working on a record like if i'm producing something i'm really I'm, I'm, i may be helping and so i feel it in my hands like i my hands get real shot real quick I, so i don't really play as much as i used to or as much as i should maybe I, uh, got it got more it. for writing i write i write more than i play huh, at this point but sure. i'll play yeah, i'll play I... among the living front to back though <laughs> uh, out of curiosity just for it's it's sort of a silly question but 
um, like when it came when it comes to singing, like did you know pretty early on that you were able to sing, and were you comfortable in that, like doing that, or did, is that something that kind of came as you started playing in bands? Oh yeah, I mean I just yeah, it was just like you, I did it like every second with my dad, you sang in the house every minute of my life. You just sang, you just sing, put music on and sing. That was it. That was yeah, my life. That was that was home home life. Not my mom. When you were, uh, she would just hang like, out. She would hang with us. It was just the three of us, you know. And like I would sing with my dad every second, you know, all you know, right. old records. But uh, what, it, I, yeah, I knew I could. I just knew I could sing. I just thought everybody sings, you know. Everybody kind of can sing. It wasn't like I was like I'm a fucking singer at ten years old. But that wasn't the fantasy for me. That wasn't the fantasy. Was to be the fantasy wasn't to be Joey Belladonna. The fantasy was to be Scott Ian. You know what I mean? Like. HR is definitely like my was my punk rock was my punk rock Elvis Presley but like I didn't I wanted to play those fucking licks you know like it just wasn't like that you know which is strange to look back because I mean it's what I maybe to most people I guess I'm a rock and roll singer but that's I still look at that as a very small portion of what the whole big fantasy was for me the whole time but that's yeah you know but like I just never thought that that would be it but then I wasn't allowed to be in a band when I was real little so it was just like can't bring your shit out of the house go yell and then right. that's that yeah back to that that was like yes i knew i could like sing a bit it's just like did you know you could breathe like it's just life you know you sing you just you sing in your house but were you I never connected that i would ever do it like i was never like now i'm gonna sing in the band that wasn't really the thing but i don't know did but I played I, enough of all stuff that I don't give a fuck what I have to do at this point. <laughs> I'll do what, it takes. I don't know. So the first band that you did is the like what's documented or whatever. Like the first band is a band called Busted. Is that was that the first band? No, you ever that's did? not. It's not that. No, no, that was uh, that was like just like something for a few, for like nothing for a couple of weekends with like all Tommy right, so from the story majority and Justin. No, that was it. It was just like later, way later. It was, okay. it was way later. It was, that was mad. Then what was the first? After Glassjaw. Uh, Glassjaw was my band. That was it. That was the very first? Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah, so Busted was, was, was like little. a side project. Yeah, it was me and Justin just playing like a... I think we covered like Sunday Bloody Sunday and like played like a couple of fast, just like old licks from like me and Justin when we were little, I think, or something. I don't Yeah. Okay. It, was, it wasn't even a band. Okay. Hardly. But I think we okay. played two shows maybe. I don't know. But anything could play a show back then. Like we could play a show right now. If right. It was back then. Just you and me. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I feel like half half the thing this show accomplishes is setting the record straight on bad information on Wikipedia. That's that's what I'm here for. That's gonna be the name of our band is setting it straight. First setting of all. it straight. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Second oh, of all, so- I'm glad you do that. It's a, it's good. It's a it's a service. It's a service. That? So what uh do you remember what the first show you played then was the first show i ever played uh, yeah yeah girl that i went to like like elementary school with she like threw a party and it was like my parents are going away your band should play and like we never even like hung out probably <laughs> i don't know yeah no doubt yeah we'll all be there <laughs> and then so i guess me and justin probably just like whipped it whipped it together and it was in his house or some shit and sitting Indian style in my parents' house or something. I don't know. Put it together and then had our other, I, I don't know, our friend, this kid we knew at the time, this, this guy, Nick, he, he was playing 
he was playing with another friend of mine from elementary school that he, I don't know, everybody was just kind of like jamming. And we were like, let's get together and be one band and have two singers. Every band has two singers like back then. You need to, but yeah, it's my first band. Let's have like four dudes sing. And right. then I guess there's a house party and we played the house party and it was, that was it. And it was actually were- dope. It was Tetsuo played. So it was like real, very, felt very real for the place that we were at. For the play, I mean, geographically, like on Long Island, we played the Tetsuo. Like, that was pretty cool. Were you doing covers or were, did you have Neil. original songs? No, no covers. No, we fucking we played our tunes. <laughs> All the, we, played, we played our songs. I can't even imagine at this point what it sounded like. Yeah, Justin on drums. I was singing. I probably didn't face anybody because I was probably petrified, I think, at the time. Second yeah. singer, I think. I think it was two singers. Or maybe we didn't have the second singer for that show. No, the house party was two singers. Okay. Oh, no, no. The house party wasn't with Tetsuo. The, the house party was just us playing a random, the girl's house from elementary school, and there was nothing punk about it. It was just actually a <laughs> bunch of people in a person's house. Then shortly after that, we played, uh, was it Bob from Tetsuo's house? And Tetsuo played. And who else played? LMNOP. Tetsuo, Edgar, and I don't know who else. That was, yeah, that was wild. Yeah. There's people, so, a bunch of cool people, made me real nervous. That's amazing. Did, uh, did you, <laughs> do you remember feeling like, because a big thing that gets talked about a lot on the show, especially for people who sing in like aggressive bands, is like, the first time you do it, you don't really know what you're going to, what like your body's going to do, like how you're going to react, like what kind of stage presence you're going to have. Like, do you remember oh, I, being like I, a timid I, I'm guy? I'm pretty sure. No, I've never. You wild out. Well, I was nervous probably inside, but like once Justin started smashing cymbals, I was probably going so fucking ham that it was humiliating. I can't even imagine how crazy I was going. At that point, oh my God, finally it was all happening. That was like probably playing the garden to me. I probably went fucking ape shit. But I think we we used to like play together every day. Like I feel like me and Justin were playing together every second. And I knew how to like get into like singer guy mode, like like watching videos and shit. So I think I probably bent over, put my hand behind my back, yelled, stamped my feet like, dudes and the noise <laughs> records were doing at that point i don't know yeah, right i think i had it pretty scripted i'm sure by then it was all that mattered <laughs> yeah I fucking sold yeah, course, my arms to do that to play <laughs> to play a show absolutely so uh obviously it was just like the two i mean the two of you've been doing this since you were little kids um i'm actually curious what the first time was like for you two to record together like what the first recording experience was was it like did you have like four tracks and stuff or or what was uh what was that early he had a he had a four track and so there's definitely some four track shit that must sound like insight just so cool it just must be (laughs) cool that wouldn't be the word i would use but yeah it'd be pretty fucking cool to hear it at least um it must be so bad it must exist and he might have it in a box he's always got like a box we me and him both have boxes just like always just like yo there's a box and there's like stacks of like shit from like eighth grade uh yeah it was those those recordings and there was a guy named steve who used to be the guy who returned the shopping carts to um to the to the front of the supermarket in our town 
you ask these questions. I don't think about these things a lot. So I'm, I'm really laughing, thinking about some of these memories. No, these memories it. are right out of gum. This is like Long Island gummo. Half of these fucking stories to me when they think back. <laughs> like the house I'm imagining playing for our first show is just like us playing in Gummo, but it's in like suburban South Belmore. <laughs> um, okay, so there was the guy, Steve. He was like four years older than me and Justin. And he was the dude that would return the carts from the parking lot to the front of the supermarket. And he was so fucking cool, man. He literally looked like Dave Mustaine at that point. And he had like the Steve size Powell Peralta deck, but he only had three wheels on it and he was still kind of nasty. And this is like 93. And I was like, man, Steve's just the fucking coolest fucking dude there is. And one day, well, I didn't see Steve for a while because I used to hang out with him while he would return the carts, but then I didn't see Steve for a minute. And then one day he's like, yo, I opened up a studio. And it's right by you. We got some fucking you know, great gear. This is, I don't know, 93, whatever. And I'm like, that's amazing. So when we and Justin finally think we're able to record something. And I feel like we must have actually had five songs, just the two of us. And we went into this basement and it is the sickest recording ever. And I haven't heard that shit. I didn't hear that shit in like a lifetime. And maybe like two years ago, I was back in New York for like a holiday and I'm going to get like beer, but nice beer, you know, not shitty beer, good beer. Sure. You know, at the, like the place where you walk, you know, like the good beer, you know? So I'm walking into like a nice beer place where they have the good beer and Steve walks out and he works at the beer place and he goes, Daryl, I just found the machine that it's recorded on, which you need to play the tape. And I have the tape and I'm going to drop it the fuck off to you. And I'm pretty sure he dropped all of it off to Justin. So technically that that's our real first recording. You hear the door shutting in the recording room, like during it, like we're just like talking, like it's some of the wildest shit, but it's, I'll say it's passion. It's passionate. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, I remember being like, this is real. This is so real. Like we're doing this forever. It's the best thing ever. Is that a demo that you like gave out to friends or was that a demo that you had just for yourselves to hear the songs back? No, that was like, let's not record ever again after that. Probably <laughs> we thought, I don't know. <laughs> and then we took uh, a minute and put together some, you know, some real tunes, some real jams. I think some of those first jams on Steve's recording went to, uh, went to the real first demo which we made only like, I don't know, like 20 of, like handmade, photocopied style. And we, and we handed those out to friends. Those are, that was like the special first little kid demo, like anim, Japanese animation. Is that the it, so. impossible shot demo? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. I wonder if I have that. Okay. That was cool. That was all, that was cool looking, that one. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, and done. Looking at a... Uh... Always going, you know, being like record nerd guy or whatever. Whenever I'll go to the Glassjaw, like Discogs page, there's always so many different versions of those early cassettes, and wow. it feels very pure. Like you're like like you all enjoy just ma hand making cassettes and probably only doing a handful of them. Yeah. But for a collector, I'm okay. sure they're like, this is the worst. <laughs> for a collector, yeah, that must be horrible. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm a Zappa guy. I'm a Zappa guy. It's like my life isn't easy. I have no sympathy for you guys. <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard. It's a lot of work. Do the work. 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, we were of that time. I mean, how many bands did do that? Like, so many totally. bands do that, but not every band puts rec- stupid records out on Warner Brothers and Roadrunner years later. And so, like, there's a little bit of, like, being, like, fake immortalized. Like, no, usually shitty bands like our band at the time, we just, you do it and no one knows about it. We're the right. shitty band that, like, actually put a couple of records out so people are like, there's these fucking handmaids because that's these idiots did right but that was fun that was the fun shit the shit with the don fury stuff that was like the best glass jaw stuff that was like the coolest stuff that was like a really fertile period of me and justin just finally kind of something clicking a little bit like our heads and you know starting to come together that was a cassette some of that stuff i think i don't remember the um yeah, before before we hop on over to like the yeah, kiss kiss bang bang and stuff like that, I was actually curious what your first tour was. Like, did the band tour much um, before doing uh, like really? No, we did a bunch of out of state shows and stuff. But I mean, it was still just really early. Like bands our age really had to like you had to really have just finished high school, I guess, and like or spent the whole summer after high school, like during between high school years touring. It was just wasn't that easy or terribly common some dudes are just obsessed in hardcore bands obsessed with touring it was like a really in the late 90s that's just all the dudes gave a fuck about but i always felt that we lived i don't know i always wanted a tour yeah definitely i always wanted to until i started doing it and i never enjoyed it but <laughs> i was i mean you always want to but also we were from new york so it was like you definitely knew you were only doing it to just hang it just would have been like me and justin getting to do it with our, with buddies and and like having the experience and that's just what it all really is you know and that's so beautiful so i i really wanted it but didn't do tons of it in glassjaw i guess at the time but that all started that all started right around the roadrunner sort of era right before it we started just being like going on little runs here and there and and then our first real tour was the deftones like that really was our first real real tour it really was I was about to ask if that time when you played at the Palladium, if because in my head it always was like that was your first time in California, but that like for sure was when you played at the Palladium here in LA. That was the night I met you. That's the first, is that the first date of the American tour, of the North American White Pony tour? Oh, Whatever I'm not sure that was, was that? Uh, yeah. Was it like Electric Fight? Was- I don't know. I don't know, but whatever that first date was, but it, it, it actually, it's funny because I never played in Europe or nothing. And this was like mad early, you know, like I'd only done like two years of college and then like, yeah, it was in 2000, that, like right there, like right then and there, you know? And so I never played in Europe. Justin never played in Europe with Sons, I don't think. No, no, he didn't. And um, so our first real, like, you know, big, big, show like big rock and roll show because keep in mind i'll remind everybody glass shows a hardcore band i mean we still are and that's what we were really very much so then um was with the deftones in amsterdam was like our first and that was it and that was the first date of their whole white pony tour and then we toured the world with them like that was our first that was it i don't know i think they heard the record and dug it or whatever it is i don't even remember at this point but that was awesome it was super i changed the trajectory trajectory of everything i guess a bit you know maybe it got accepted by a lot of kids that otherwise would never even fucked with us you know yeah i mean i have i was just thinking about it and going uh going over it in my head pre- prepping for this interview where like i mean i had i was already like a big deftones fan from you know being a younger person when those records had come out but 
uh, I was working at, remember like street team companies, remember back in the day, all those street team companies, uh, There's like a yeah, lot of street teams. There's a ton of I still, I still don't realize what they did. I, I still can't figure out what they did. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, well, from someone who worked, who worked at one being the person that mailed shit out to kids, I feel like most kids were like, yo, you're telling me you're going to just send me a bunch of stickers and posters for myself. <laughs> like, wait, I get all five colorways of the sticker. Yeah, exactly. hundred of so, every color. Yeah, I know exactly. So, I remember um, I remember I was working on one of those companies and they had got the advanced copy of everything you ever want to know about silence. And I was just so bored always. So I just play anything that came in. And I remember listening to it and just like every it was just like a everything changed kind of moment. And I was even just looking at the dates of that. And it was like, damn. So it was an advanced copy. So I'm assuming that I probably got that. I probably heard it in like maybe, fuck, I don't know, March. I think the record came out in May. And then that Deftone show I just saw was in August and a big theme that also gets talked about a lot is how much time moved seemed to move a lot slower <laughs> back then. Cause like, to me, I was like that. Cause it the felt internet like a... didn't make time move fast. <laughs> the internet makes time move real fast, real fast. So I was like, so like just imagining that in that very short span is like, I had, you know, Glasha had become, so important to me and like just seriously my favorite band so i went to that show that deftone show that you played and i remember i was like i'm gonna not watch the deftones because i went outside i was like i just want to shake this man's hand and say thanks so i remember i waited around the parking lot for like 20 30 minutes and you ended up popping out and that's when i met you that first time but i I mean to me that was like i fucking love the deftones but i was like i gotta just go say thanks to this man so that that's I like a sweet memory you. that I always love seeing you. I have so many memories of you. Little you and then big you. I know <laughs> lots of yous. I knew you was all yous. <laughs> I was just talking to uh Fern uh earlier and uh I was just I was telling him that I was about to interview you and he was like he's like, Yo, you he's like, You remember you and I met like I met Fern at that when you played the whiskey with Earth Crisis and Strife and Snapcake really or Strife uh, Strife Johnny Man yeah wild show yeah that's that yeah. lineup is still insane to me at that place too at the whiskey who the fuck puts that show at the whiskey <laughs> that was it was awesome. so... yeah that was really good i remember yeah, yeah, yeah. myself a lot that night that was a oh man yeah <laughs> it was uh it was it was very very trippy so um anyway blah 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 memory lane um when uh it's funny so I'm curious, was was Two Cents a Pop? Was that just the record label that you guys had invented to release Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Because I saw that's the only release that, no, that's on I that label. That that's the uh no, I think that was Christian McKnight, right? Am I forgetting? I you tell me. No, I think Christian paid for the record. Probably cost like five hundred bucks. I don't know. No, I don't know what it costs. Christian's gonna like probably hear the podcast and be like, ah, I definitely paid more than five hundred dollars. I don't know what it costs. <laughs> Christian is lot is awesome. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what it cost, but I thought that that's, I thought that's his name or his name for the re- like his record label. There was yeah. never another record under that name, right? There, I, no. I mean, at least according to the internet, the only release that came out on that label was was the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang record. So I guess maybe one a, it's oh, a good was one and done. Amazing record. Oh, that's of course. What a classic. Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was Christian. I'm pretty sure that was Christian's label. It was two cents a pop. I could be wrong. I'm sorry, Christian, if I'm wrong. 
Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you're right. You know more than I do. Um, and then uh, so then you went and did uh, did those Don Fury demos. And I'm assuming that was an exciting moment for the band, just considering Don Fury is just his legendary New York hardcore guy. Um, how did that come? Yeah, we loved him. Playing every weekend with like Still Suit or Mind Over Matter, I think, or we played Mind Over Matters last show or one of the last shows. Something? Am I crazy? Or Mind Over Matter reunion? A bunch of a million wreckage records type shows, wreckage wreckage record showcases and stuff. And we weren't even on wreckage, but we were just like so might as well have been, I guess. Right. Um, and we just had that sound. It was just like exactly the sound we were going for, exactly the bands we were playing more and more with um which was just looked it sounded it loved it it was just our that universe of that very niche new york thing and i guess over time it was just so obvious don should meet us and i think maybe maybe me and justin even gave him a demo or something or like kiss kiss bang bang maybe something i mean i have a really bad memory at this point but somehow we all it made sense. And then he started talking, uh, coming up to me and talking to me after we'd finished playing, like he'd immediately walk up to the stage. So then he started having like, like me and Justin to come talk to him. And we, then we, I don't know, I guess started just making tunes with him on the weekends. And I feel like we made tunes with him on the weekends for like a year, like something, something far out. Like we were just oh, wow. going in there and he would just like, yeah, I feel, I think so. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just like we would go in. Yeah, we would go in there. That was like what we were doing. Like me and Justin and Todd and I think Stefan was the drummer at the time. And yeah. And oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, did a lot. I would have just assumed it was you, you all had written these songs and then you were like, OK, now we're going to go in the studio and just knock them out really quick. But that's interesting that it was well, a process. We did. It, 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 well, it wasn't like he wrote the shit at all. He didn't know. He didn't. He didn't write anything. But but he was doing the actually a, the job of an actual producer, straight up. I mean, he really was. He wasn't. He wasn't doing what producers tend to do. He wasn't getting in our head. He wasn't fucking with us. He wasn't taking money from us. It wasn't some fucking scheme. It was. He was totally appropriate. He was just a cool older dude who just like knew how to make records with his sound really quick on a dat. Just like a like an old you know just an old school cat. And we grew up worshiping those records. Every record, yeah. helmet record, fucking helmet records, helmet seven inch. The um, what he did, uh, first Revelation series or one, right? Was it Wars that, that Warzone record or the first AF seven inch or something? He did all of this, yeah, all that stuff. Gauge seven inch, yeah, like everything. He just did everything dope, right? He just did everything. Yeah. It was just so dope and so signature. New York City, weird, that clunky snare drum, all that shit. The guitars are just so impressed and just like <laughs> hissing, <laughs> fucking galloping walking bass lines and non-stop yeah. footwork it's like so dope a little bit of a hip-hop groove popping noisy shouting fucking slow cool shit you know and it was just it's he just showed us how to really nail a lot of that stuff but he didn't he didn't write it but it was the first time someone was like well this is how you look at songwriting a little bit so he was he was huge it was a huge influence on us definitely he, no, I love he, that. he got he he got in me and Justin's head in a really good way, I think, at the time, and he really he really loved us, you know. And I and then Roadrunner just kind of like came forward and just came hard with a I think a deal at the time and just took us from him, and that was it. And that's yeah, but that and that sucks in retrospect because he put a lot of work into us, 
and it was just great shit. Like, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of it's really childish, but a lot of it's also far more mature than what was to come in a lot of ways. For in a for lot sure. of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was uh was one of the I I was thinking about it with um I know VOD being from Long Island and a band that you obviously loved and and everything like that was signing to was getting that initial Roadrunner offer like exciting because of maybe like the the VOD connection and like some of the other bands I think they also had like Madball maybe at the time or something like that like did it feel like a safe space for yeah. a band like I mean, yours no, to go to I remember feeling like VOD wasn't doing good on there at the time like I remember feeling like yeah like what you're saying like yeah I get it but at the same time there was like the other side was like nothing having to do with our world ever did good so like yeah it's from our world this feels awesome but also 65 percent of it was it's from our world nothing ever does good from where we're from like it's just nothing cool ever from where we're from ever really pops off you know so like i, I don't know i think we were probably like skeptical because first well, i mean just honestly roadrunner is just such trash it's trash like what it was never anything that like it did, it made like really outrageously dope metal records in like the formative years for, of like that, of like death metal and like my formative years. Records I listen to very much to this day, many fucking records, you know, like Malevolent Creep, you know, like everything from Malevolent to fucking Obituary, every fucking great record, just like so many dope metal records. And I have no problem admitting that was huge to me because it's, I was a fucking metalhead. Like I'm not. I'm not too yeah. proud to be a metalhead. I'm still a fucking metalhead. Fuck it, you know, very much. Um, and like, but then like a time came when it couldn't have been any more the you know the total polar opposite of that. So it was like we should not go anywhere near Roadrunner. That is completely. We've worked so hard for so long to remain. To you know, we're t- we wanted to be t- we're taste. We wanted to be tasteful. We wanted to always kind of be tasteful. Um, you know. It's funny saying that in retrospect, um, but we always wanted to be tasteful and we always wanted to be a little like thinking man sort of hardcore. And then to like even just get close to Roadrunner and was like, what that is ridiculous? But, you know, Russ, you know, the, you know, he promises all this stuff and he, t- he just not promises all this stuff. He just like was wanted to do something different. And it just seemed like a very, a very good opportunity to get the thing in front of people to get in front of as many eyes as possible and it wasn't about getting big like i don't it doesn't matter what people say like if you ever met us in your whole life that has never for 30 seconds been what me and justin have ever once ever said or wanted we didn't care we were really pretentious hardcore kids snotty <laughs> jerks at that point so there was no way we were like we need to get big and let's work with and we worked this hard this all these years. Let's work with the guy that fucking did corn. Like that never happened. Obviously, <laughs> clearly that never happened. But it just seemed like, get, how do we get the thing in front of people? You know, like how do we got this thing? Like how do we get the thing in front of all these eyes? And I think there was a lot of big, like, big opportunity. Yeah, that was it. But there was probably a Not million that- other things we could have done if we didn't do that for five more minutes, maybe. So. But hindsight's always twenty twenty. Whatever it is, what it is. I don't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to look back at it now. But we still did our thing. We didn't make a fucking. Never became a new metal band. We didn't become one of those weirdo bands of dreads and shit. Like we're a hardcore band. <laughs> no, one hundred percent. It's a hardcore record. It's a hardcore record. Yeah, you know, I mean, call it. The, 
and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that um by you i mean i remember that was like totally the era too where i think people would check out bands or records based on thank you lists and maybe the t-shirts bands were wearing and things like that and i think um that was at a at a time for me too where i was listening like starting to listen to hardcore but not maybe even realize i was listening to hardcore because i did like a lot of metal like i had the vod records so then I had see the that for- see and that's yeah. why i'm an idiot and then- to say maybe what i what i say i mean we know that a lot of that metal on road was fucking clown ass shit but i'm an idiot to say that because maybe you wouldn't have heard it and there is a lot of people that hear it sort of the through this reverse engineering sort of thing there obviously is you know, I mean, that's yeah. always the case. That that is always going to be the case the... in all sort of media, in all media. So I, I do yeah. knock it. Like, you know, who the fuck am I? You know, I mean, what did I do after fucking Roadrunner? That was probably the. <laughs> well, you know, I made the Godfather after Roadrunner. I mean, like, what am I really saying? Listen to me. Oh, like the Roadrunner. Yeah, I mean, the Roadrunner. Listen to me. You should be listening to me. <laughs> so yeah, then it was. Uh, you know, I feel like. Um, it 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 kind of show it was a you know it's a big gateway record for a lot of people i think like people then realize like oh this is you know like i can get into stuff that sounds more similar to this like they it appeals to um the melodic side of like aggressive music whatever all that sort of stuff um and uh so then yeah obviously you you know we don't have to get into all the nonsense you ended up signing to uh to warner and i guess a question that i've always wanted to to ask you was when head automatica ended up start uh starting it was still on warner was that did uh was that like a, sig- a, a signing to warner th- for that band or were you like under contract because of Glassjaw, like you as a person so is that why that went they there? have first i mean they had first dibs on whatever i was gonna do if it was okay like fucking if it sounded like dying fetus they didn't they weren't gonna want it so yeah um and I was remembering because uh, there was that first when when Head Automatica first started, there was that first uh, the first thing that I think I, I feel like it was like the age of Napster, the age of Soulseek and the age of all of that, like really popping off. Because I remember there was the Tokyo Decadence, like all fake early version, early version of that. All fake names. All yeah, yeah, yeah. No, random crazy Napster nameage. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 percent. Yeah. And I'm curious, was that? was that all like just demos that somehow just got leaked or was that a record that was Definitely. it was supposed to be remember that? how many remember how many underage clowns used to work at major labels that everybody and their mother would give copies of random bounces for the day here here's a bunch of cds of bounces for a multi-million dollar record take the take the day's roughs into your car <laughs> on the way to get sushi yeah you know that that's how it happened i don't know i imagine that's oh. how it happened literally nothing ever didn't leak like right have you ever had something not leak while there was labels involved no right are like listen everything matters a lot and there has to be a fucking watermark but (laughs) we guarantee you it's definitely leaking (laughs) and if you weren't (laughs) on a label that made you use a watermark it wouldn't leak anyway it only leaks because you're on that label in the first place right Yeah, yeah i don't know just leaking unfinished shit that just happened on anything that anyone did at that point such a joke yeah but i guess uh i was curious because that that early version of the record even though there was a lot of songs that ended up still being on decadence um all there's a lot of songs on there that had like a like a super like almost like dub influence um what yeah, those what made you on the record instead 
stuff. Those yeah, I love. I just re, I it's funny. I just used Soulseek and re-downloaded those demos because I was like, man, I have not heard these in a really long time. I um, think I only have those on CD burns from those days. Like, yeah, Automator. Like Dan, the Automator used to have like like a CD burner. It's so, like he'd finish it the day and like he would just like mine out his computer i think to like a cd burn or some shit and then like burn it and me and uh larry at the time would just like listen to it in the car or, like in the rental like on loop for 40 hours just like yes this is it and then none of the songs make it yeah what was the, <laughs> what was the reasoning for that did you just want it to I go mean, more yeah, like... i don't know i'm sure it was just cats at the label just being like listen it's a little too down tempo it's gotta rock to more on the up to... <laughs> of course if it was up to them, it would be, who the fuck knows? I don't know. It would have been in my Chemical Romance record or whatever was happening that summer. I don't know. Yeah. You know what they wanted. Just go to yeah. look at them out that year. And that's what they wanted. Sure. So they how, was how was that? How was that experience? Yeah. How was <laughs> that experience as a whole, though, going from doing like aggressive, like glass shell stuff, and then all of a sudden you're in the studio with like a guy like Danny Automator and Howard Benson and like all these sorts of people? Like, was that a big I mean, that adjustment for you? Well, Howard Benson wasn't my shit. I didn't even know what records he did. I never even heard his name until I started. Until we worked with him upon recommendation yeah. from you know a major label. Oh, shit. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I love the automator's work. I mean, that was my shit. Like you know, hip. I'm a you know sample based music guy in the biggest way. You know, it's it's just like a huge. It's me in a very big way. You know, like computer music club music uh breaks hip-hop trip-hop electronic music electronica from the 90s anything from fucking apex twins epmd and big daddy kane you know it's just like that was my is my my is my shit and so automator was huge he was huge to me this very simple very rudimentary sort of like loops and simple weird simple samples and he had a real cool knack for remixing a lot of the astral works stuff in the late 90s it was like what stereo lab he did like a ridiculous miss modular mix and then it's like the patch mode where he did like did he do the painkiller or remix or something like that he's so many yeah he did the patch mode remix i forget which tune it is just uh, i think the last nxs tune maybe so was an automator remix too just like he's oh, the wow. monster dr octagon record was like mammoth to me um what else he uh hands boy mom school's first record is just like pretty wild you know yeah and then he and if i'm correct he mixed mixed and engineered the all the shadow stuff up until the actual second moax like cd so i guess like that's he probably i think he tr maybe tracked and maybe mixed and mastered or, or not mastered i don't know like he did a lot mixing maybe engineering that early shadow stuff like uh what does your soul look like maybe introducing i think that's all done at glue factory which is automator's basement so i mean he's just part of really special fucking insane shit at the time and it was like who are your fantasy dudes to work with i was like oh, i'd love to fuck with automator like i always had this fantasy from like hip-hop from trip-hop like land like 90s for me like really i early on with hip-hop for me was very sample heavy like samples just fucked me up like in 1989 hearing samples i didn't know exactly that it was samples maybe yet and but it just it fucked me up and so I, as soon as like trip-hop was happening it was kind of like 
samples were going away in a big way, I think, in hip hop music and in a lot of club, clubby shit in that era, maybe a little. But somehow trip hop was keeping like this really dusted sort of samples and breaks and you know drum loops and drum breaks and jazz samples and dusted shit and and just crazy you know atmospheric stuff left field stuff down tempo stuff while still keeping it a little bottom heavy and clubby so trip hop really carried that stuff along and that shit really fucked me up and like changed my life in the hugest way and yeah. i always wanted to sing over things like that i just really had a fantasy of that because i couldn't really rap or anything you know i rap for like five minutes with friends recorded on the weekends but like you can't I just really wanted to do that. I always had that fantasy and I always worked on that stuff until I could afford better samplers working with garbage and garbage keyboards. And then as time goes by, it was just like, it all kind of came together and, and I keep kept making more and more of that material and just knew I needed to finally do it. And, and, it, and automator, I feel like really caught on to something by doing that. I, and I'm not even into them, but I, the concept was just so brilliant at the time to me, but um, which I'm gonna call it, uh, the gorillas. So, All right. da- I mean, Damon is obviously one, of, I think he's one of the more, most, he's one of the most talented songwriters on the planet. I think in terms of pop music or laddish post McCartney and intelligent kinky <laughs> songwriting, like he's unbeatable. There's only a few people left on planet earth that can still do that really organic craft like he can. And to see them doing it together is like, oh man. Like I was, I, I, that was my shit. Like I knew it. I knew, I knew that there's so much in that, not just, not just beautiful female voices, you know, you know, doing it like there's ways to do it. And I, I, I kind of wanted to do it and I named a bunch of producers and right off rip automator just kind of worked out. I had a mutual friend kind of, and, uh, it all came together and Damn. So did that record. Yeah. When you and got that, that a, call, it was a total dream come true. Yeah. Yeah, when you got that call that he was down to do it, I'm sure your mind just exploded. Yeah, it's crazy shit. <laughs> at the time, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at the time, yeah, big. Felt really, oh, felt man, really nice it's... to get to do that at the time. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. I haven't thought about it in a while, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy good. time for the learning time experiences. Flies. Yeah, there's a lot of shitty things that happened during the whole process, but a lot of really rad things that happened too so it was a learning experience in a lot of ways that's Um, that's how it goes what this is kind of like a like an all-encompassing question but because of all of the turbulence that obviously the band experienced between all these different labels uh producers like all sorts of different stuff like and then now you you know for these last ton of years you and justin you and justin have really like just like steered the ship on all things glass jaw everything you know you have eyes on the entire establishment that the, that is glass jaw like um again it's a hindsight situation but like do you feel that because of all that experience you're able to now like know exactly what you want and feel confident in all the decisions you make because of all these experiences i guess i mean there's like two there's like two ways like confident as far as business yeah i feel like we're pretty we know like we just know what we do and i i don't think we're trying to ever invent reinvent i don't want to say reinvent the wheel that sounds so tiny that sounds small but like we're never trying to start from scratch and rebuild the entire universe we put together again so i 
I think we know what we do. I think we know the, the, the most efficient way to get there. And I think we know what the niche audience who digs our shit wants and likes. And it's like a fun, it's a fun give and take. It's not like a, there's no, there's no scam. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like trying to, you know, like wait. And then like, we're playing trick. Like it's, I know we know what they dig and I think we know what they would want. And, and it, they, you know, and I think, and they give, and they give, they give back and we have a good back and forth with them as far as the way we do it. So I think we have a pretty firm grasp on what our, our guys dig, you know? Yeah. I mean, guys as in men, I mean, our people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and do I feel like we know what we want musically? Yeah. Even, I mean, I would imagine even more so than what. Right. Than of course. Business wise. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Yes. Yes, we do last up quickly. I think. Yeah, we do it. Yes, awesome. it makes sense awesome. at this point. It, there's a flow. Uh, as a fan of you know, obviously vinyl records, as you can see behind me and all that sort of stuff. Like, I uh, is it you two that come up with this like these wild packaging ideas that you've been doing uh, all these last bunch of years, especially like the the box set that's supposed to be coming out with this uh, with these album shows and stuff like how do these come up like is it justin is it both of you yeah, the box says that's all justin yeah the box that was justin he that's just crazy he was working on that yeah i think he was working on that for a while yeah no i as uh as a collector of of or even just like the the what the coloring book record with the, like the split vine like you're somehow able to still be ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff that bands haven't done yet like i remember even with the seven inches having the the GJ uh, thing in the set, like the, what do you call it? The, uh, the seven inch adapter, like all those sorts of things. Like it, it always feels like you're still ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff. And uh, I don't know if you hear that enough, but, uh, but as someone who is a vinyl collector and appreciates that stuff and appreciates your band, like, you know, you're, 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 you're consistently impressive. So good. So good job with that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Being ahead of the curve is good yeah uh, yeah well hey uh i mean i we're already at an hour here i can hit you with the last question which i like to ask everybody yeah whatever you want i'm here I'm yeah all, man I'm all yours. I'm all yours. which is yeah i like to ask uh do you remember the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards uh i feel like i don't know there was a there was a long island sh i mean it was just like a hardcore show i remember really just feeling like we were it was finally things were finally moving, moving forward in a sort of, I don't want to use the same phrase, but like putting the whole plan in front of uh, a lot of eyes. And I think it was the first time I felt like we contributed to this mammoth draw of a very sort of big show, big Long Island moment. I think it was like, I think it was like VOD, Earth Crisis, us, like something, some sort of thing like that. Maybe it was just like, 99 i don't know like it was it's ancient it's pretty ancient at this point it could have been 1998 i don't even remember maybe it was one of those guys like record release shows something like that silly hardcore show you know in retro yeah silly it's a silly silly thing but the memory it, but the memory itself was kind of like really you know really seeing that so much of that particular show that moment was sort of you know i think me and me and justin kind of we were just like yeah we did you know we're doing it's happening it's going like uh, this feels great i just yeah i just remember that and i think right after that was when a lot of things kind of moved forward for glass show at that young age i think a lot of like specifically like that summer in time and that, that was like a moment that kind of kicked it off i think 
Yeah. Do you, it's, it's just a question that popped in my head. Uh, as someone who obviously, you know, you get the, you had it pretty early on in your life with like people singing your lyrics back to you and at very loud volumes. Is that something that, uh, do you remember the first time that even happened and like what that felt like? I mean, it was one of the, you know, like one of the first five sort of shows as soon as we handed out something with like lyrics on it. I used to keep a little like little like journal of, you know, all these sorts of things when I was when I was little in the first for the first like 10 shows when I was like 13 or something. I remember writing, writing down when it did. I remember writing down when it did happen. I think Justin has all this stuff. Pretty sure I probably gave him all that, all these things. But I remember writing specifically like, you know kids just went fuck you know fucking crazy uh what was it it might have been the pipeline i really i think it might have been a this, this place called the pipeline it was a mini golf skate park mini Perfect. golf and skate park on long island and it was always wild 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 shows i'm pretty sure this specific show was there yeah and if i'm correct i saw photos of it recently and i'm wearing a shelter long sleeve perfect <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a awesome. very long very long wallet chain <laughs> <laughs> you've always been a style icon my friend clearly oh yeah clearly if you look at this photo you wouldn't be saying that <laughs> uh i mean i guess that's kind of a funny thing to, to ask you about i mean you've always been you've always been you know a very fashionable person was that was that everything anything you ever were uh ever interested in career-wise like getting into fashion at all I make some clothes here and there, you know, I don't know. I kind of, I think a lot of it is just, I get turned off by a lot of, you know, labely sort of things in a way, but I do enjoy a lot of labely sort of things in a way. So as, you know, as, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, make things here and there, but I always tell myself this, I always tell myself to relax. I always have enough on my plate that, you know, those are big yeah. endeavors and, you know, and who doesn't, attempt sort of you know attempt a lot of things like that i always yeah. i always felt like that was sort of a thing that I, when i when i do it i, I always want to i want to get it i want to do it right you know i would fair. like to do it i would like to do it properly fair but uh i do like hey i dig i dig clothes clothes are fun <laughs> awesome <laughs> well thank you so much daryl i really appreciate this conversation you're uh you're the thank best you. and thanks for making it happen you are the best i love you man i really appreciate you asking me to do this Absolutely. All right. Love you too. And that's our show. Thank you so much to Daryl for coming on and thank you for listening. Don't forget, there's a bonus episode. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear that now. And uh, if this was your first time listening on uh, Apple or Spotify, wherever you're enjoying this, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating and review, that would mean the entire damn world. I will see you next week. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye bye.